There's nothing that can prepare you for something like this to come into your life. Nothing. Sego, Skenego, I'm Ginny Doctor, and this is Sacred Teachings. In this series about the pandemic of suicide in our indigenous communities, guest host Peter Downey talks to someone who was left behind. Judith Moses, one of our indigenous leaders, friend and colleague, lost her brother to suicide and the impact on their family was devastating. Here is Peter with the episode called The Toll It Takes. Thanks, Jenny. Any death, of course, is difficult for those left behind. We often get through that period of adjusting to the new absence by reconnecting with the restorative powers of tradition and ceremony and ritual. This is a time when one's heart seems cracked open to the world, not only to the pain it can inflict, but also to the goodness and the kindness of community. But a death by suicide is different in some important ways, and it makes for a more complicated departure and aftermath. Each person, and as we've heard, each community, in fact, in the wake of a suicide, must find their own path through the turbulent emotions of loss and confusion and often guilt and shame and second-guessing. In smaller Indigenous communities, we've heard of the corrosive impact of suicide, especially on young people. Let's just say at the outset that there's no glib secret formula or one-size-fits-all golden remedy to recover from a suicide, either as an individual or as a community. I feel like I should say that parts of what you're about to hear will be upsetting and triggering for some of you. But you're hearing these difficult parts precisely because of what our guest knows about surviving the suicide of a loved one. And that is the importance of talking about what happened, of not bottling it up inside, even though maybe especially if it feels embarrassing, as if you as a survivor are somehow admitting failure. Judith Moses has made her way through this particular darkness. She knows what she's talking about. She was born on the Six Nations Reserve in Ontario. This is where, in 2013, her brother Ronald hanged himself at the age of 48. Well, it's been a number of years uh, since my brother committed suicide. So I think it's about uh, six or seven years now, I believe. So time does help to heal. Uh, if you're a person of faith, that is obviously something that, uh, that, that you turn to. But uh, I, I guess the, the main thing would be uh, there is a, there's a real tendency to blame oneself. What could I have done differently? It does no good to go back and relive scenarios. I mean, you, 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 you mourn the person, you mourn the good things about them, and then you 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 gradually um, let them go and, uh, and and move on with with your life. 
That doesn't mean you forget them. It doesn't mean that you never think about them again. But try to focus on the good memories, not the self-incriminations and the blaming and the pain part, uh, because there were good things. There are always good things. I don't know how you don't ask yourself, you know, the if onlys. If only I had done that or if somebody else had done that. Yes, well, I guess there are there are degrees. I, I wasn't anywhere nearby when the suicide happened. My mother and my sister uh, were there. And so for each of us, it was a different journey. Uh, my sister had to actually go out and cut his body down from the tree. He hung himself in my mother's front yard. She was never the same after that. I had her into psychiatric counseling and she had... Um, I forget what kind of brain therapy that, uh, and my mother never recovered. Um, I did not experience it directly. I was not there. I heard about it. And the state of shock for me was unbelievably difficult, but it was probably nothing compared to what they had gone through. And um, I think one has to just be careful what one says to other people at that time, not to blame people. I think that's the most important thing. Um, I made the mistake of saying to my mother, why didn't you take him back to the hospital? We were talking on the phone and she just hung up on me. She never forgave me for saying that. And I did not mean to blame her. But I think it, there is a tendency to find an explanation and find someone responsible for, for this. And I maybe inadvertently did that. Maybe subconsciously I was blaming her. I, I, I don't know. You, you, you do go through that for sure. You can't. Mm -hmm not ask yourself questions, um, wonder where the turns in the road occurred, what signals did you miss? Um, I, I guess in your in each person is different, as I said, and in your own mind, you have to go through your story about what you think happened, good or bad. And, and I think opportunities like this to share the story are, are really good. And that's, it's, um, you know, to be able to talk about it, um, even years later is, is, is really helpful. Right. I mean, it's really interesting that what you say, that proximity is a factor in, in the kind of, I don't know, but the kind of grief that one feels or the kind of regrets that one has. I mean, I just, I, it's something that I can't sort of wrap my head around having to cut down. He hung, he hanged himself, right? And I just can't, I can't imagine what that does to someone, to see that and then to have to kind of rescue the, the, the person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, my sister went through two or three tre shock treatments, therapy treatments after, and, and uh, it did help for sure. But I mean, to have to go through that, to have your brain altered rather than to go through a process of grief and logic and explanation is quite a, a different experience. I, I remember one, uh, my, listening to my mother on the phone, I went home one weekend and it wasn't a weekend, I guess it was a weekday, because she was talking to some government official and she reached out to try to blame everybody she could. And I admired this person who, I don't know who she was talking to, sat with her and listened to her for about two hours. So somewhere out there is a government official who went way beyond the call of duty and listened to my mother rant. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, um, there are different ways people, people will will reach out and, and seek what they need at the time. There are, all, there are services available and uh, it's hard, maybe it's hard depending on where you are in the country, especially in remote and northern parts of, of, of the country, to get the services you need. But you have to be demanding about, about what, 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 what you need. And I know it's hard in a time of grief, but 
counseling really is the way to go. There is still something deeply ingrained, I think, that makes us uncomfortable about suicide. And was that your experience, that that stigma makes recovery even more difficult? I I think so. And, you know, we didn't even have um, a funeral. My mother didn't want a funeral because she didn't want people to know on the reserve. And uh, so we're from Six Nations. And um, I think there was an announcement in the paper that he had passed away. But uh, I mean, people know just by the fact there was no funeral, that it was a suicide. So in a small community, you can't, you can't hide things. And so you might as well bring the community in and to, to help you to, to go through it. That, that, that I think is, is, is really important. And why do you think she, like, why, why wouldn't she want the community to know? Was she embarrassed, do you think, or? Oh, I'm, I'm sure that there's that. Uh, it's, 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 it's embarrassment. It's, um, it's, uh, it's incompetence. Why couldn't, my mother was a nurse. I mean, why couldn't you have done something? You were a, an educated, experienced person who deals with all kinds of illness. Why couldn't you have handled that? In some ways, the grief is worse. It's not that grief is, any death, you, you grieve, but somehow uh, it's a more personal internal grief for suicide. People don't know what to say to you. You don't want to talk to people about it because they're embarrassed for you or they think you're embarrassed and they don't want to talk about it. I, I, it is, you're right. I mean, it is, it is a stigma and it shouldn't be anymore, but unfortunately I'm afraid, I'm afraid that it is, it's, it's not a natural death. I mean, there's no reason to be embarrassed. There was no, it's not a failure on anyone's part. I think that's right. Uh, we probably, as a society, all need some training on how to do that well. I mean, there's a lot more openness now, uh, even than there was five years ago, about mental illness and, and, and suicide. And, and people are much more aware of what to watch for now, and, and especially with young people. But, but I, it, there's nothing, I can't have to say this, there's nothing that can prepare you for something like this to come into your life, nothing. There's no right way to grieve or right way to acknowledge what has happened. But as you say, I mean, you have to find, you have to take that first step after an event like this. How would you characterize that first step? What word would you use to sort of get on that journey of healing? Well, you, you do have to, you do have to grieve. You you, that is the first step. You have to go through a process of, of grieving. However, you do, you do that, and you know, as I said, for people of faith, it, your church is is a huge uh, support for you, and um, there are people in the church who are trained to to help. So, turning to people for support is really important, and, and you do have to go through those different scenarios in your mind, as we discussed earlier. What happened, and what. What did I miss? And um, ask me the questions that you're asking me <laughs> uh, without embarrassment. Or, uh, so so it's, it is important to, to draw, uh, have other people draw it out of you because your mind, you're in a state of shock. You, you know, your whole system goes, goes into shock. You can't think. You can't even feel. And some people are unable even to weep. So it, it can't, I can't say how difficult it is at that stage to try to even think normally. Uh, it, 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 day by day, it wears off and you begin a long, slow journey of, of recovery. Depending on the dynamics in the family, you may or may not 
it may not be the best thing because family dynamics are complicated and it may be that one person blames another person in the family more or it, in some ways it exas it can exacerbate any existing tensions in a family as well and people just need to be aware of that that the people around you may not be reacting normally they may be feeling quite differently than than you're feeling about it and when people say things in anger or hurt they don't necessarily mean to to hurt you people don't act normally when when they're in shock like that right i mean it's such an emotional storm isn't it that to try to to ride it out is uh, difficult to say the least i guess when i look back on it there were so many there were so many signals in fact he used to even say to us uh, he used to tell us he was in a lot of pain and and nobody believed him he just he didn't exercise he smoked a lot he became very antisocial he'd been to doctors and no one could diagnose him with anything but i guess we discovered later that it was fibromyalgia and that his pain was real and and you know one of the things is i think the first thing in looking back is, or looking forward even is you have to believe in them <laughs> you can't question what somebody says it's it's not oh well here's this doctor here's that here's an exercise why don't you go for a walk every day you'll feel better get some sunshine no when they say something believe them don't try to wash over it that that was probably the one lesson that that all of us and our family learned about about this and and coming to grips with the fact that you failed the person you know, in some ways, maybe not you individually, but collectively, the family failed him. That's a hard thing to come to grips with. But unfortunately, if you don't come to grips with it, it's you're gonna it'll haunt you. You'll you'll have nightmares, you will maybe begin to suffer from depression yourself. There are all kinds of reactions. So getting it out there and talking about it um, is honestly the first the first step. And as a family, if, if you're close to your family, um, talking together about it is helpful. Professional experience to give you insight that because you're still in the city of shock, you can't, you can't pull that out yourself. Sometimes it does take professionals to help you to do that. And of course, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the church, having people pray with you, pray for you, pray, pray with you is one of the most amazing gifts that faith can bring you. I'm intrigued by your by the expression coming to grips with it, because I think sometimes there are things in our lives that, you know, we think we should come to grips with it. And, and maybe there are things that we, that we just can't come to grips with and that we have to allow it to become a part of who we are, that sorrow and that loss and that sadness. Um, yeah, I think it's really complicated because especially if you're Indigenous, there, there are so many other factors there that relate to, to identity, inclusion, how you see the world, how the world sees you. I mean, even things like, do we have a substandard medical system on the reserve? Were the doctors good enough to treat him? And you, you go through a lot of things that you can't separate from being from an Indian reserve. You know? mm -hmm. So identity becomes, becomes part of it. I mean, how much of it was for him was our parents moved us away from the reserve at quite a young age. They didn't want us to be the Indian kids getting off the bus in Brantford. But we went through things, other different things, you know. So being the only Indian family, or as we say today, Indigenous family in Fort Erie, Ontario, I, I, I'm not as Indigenous looking as my siblings, and they went through horrible discrimination. But maybe if they had had a group of 
indigenous kids around them getting off the bus together, it might not have been so bad. So I do not know, you cannot peer into somebody else's brain and see how they saw the world. But, I, but you do have to question the world they grew up in. Was that a factor in, in, that led them to, to, to where they, they, they ended up, uh, to who they became? I think for Indigenous people, it's, it's, it, is, it is particularly uh, difficult. In some communities, uh, Six Nations a big reserve, some smaller communities, maybe suicide is a lot more personal, but in some ways, Six Nations, like any other big community, a lot of people you don't know there. And, and uh, so your networks are like, probably like they would be just about, about anywhere. But I still have no answers. All these years later, I still... I still don't 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 have answers, but I am very interested in the issue of suicide, and and I've done a little bit of work in 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 that area to try to contribute to knowledge and prevention. I think you know one of the best ways of coming to grips is to help prevent other other suicides if you can. What do you say to someone who is worried about a loved one or a friend or, or a fan sees signs of that are troubling? Uh, well, first, I mean, you do have to. To, to educate yourself on what, what to look for, what kinds of signs to look for. Uh, was there a traumatic event for this person? Has there been a change in, 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 in their behavior? Are they with a group of people who are influencing, overly influencing them in the way that they think and, and, and behave? There, there, there are some signs, and again, I don't, I'm not putting this out as a list. There are professionals who do this sort of thing, but, but it is... It, First of all, to educate yourself um, and to not not shy away from that. There's a tendency to really not want to face it because we're all afraid of that of the, the, the idea of suicide and this notion of you know don't mention the word suicide because it might give somebody an idea. Well, if they are thinking of suicide, they've already had that idea. And asking them, talking to them, helping them to find support through schools, as I said, through churches, uh, through hospitals, nursing stations, wherever you are in an Indigenous community, there are people who can help. Indigenous clergy are trained to help. I guess it's, in some ways, just don't deny that there might be something happening there. Um, and, and, and quite often, I'll even mention, uh, I can't stand this world anymore. My brother used to talk about, oh, when it gets too much, I'm just going to take my gun out in the bush and just shoot myself. And we would just kind of roll our eyes and say, oh, come on, don't be so dramatic, you know. Take that seriously. Somebody says something. They're not joking. They don't say things like that as a joke. Nobody does. But I wonder what his reaction would have been had you taken that, you know, had you kind of stopped him and said, are you serious? I mean, he may, that may have made no difference to him at all. At, yes. No, the, you're, you're, quite, you're quite right. Every person is different. And it's about knowing that person and is, whether this is the kind of behavior that that is typical of them or not in my brother's case i don't know whether i tried to get him help i spent one day kind of photocopying a bunch of stuff about you know the pain institute in toronto and i books and stuff and i went to him and gave him all this stuff and he just took it all threw it in the garbage and pushed me out of his room like physically pushed me out slammed the door his anger was almost like armor he wore his anger in a way that pushed everybody away. Uh, did he want to push everybody away? I don't think so. I think he actually was testing us. I think he wanted the family to reach out to him and talk to him and deal with him. And, and so sometimes they make it 
very difficult to reach out to to do anything uh, and in his case he was just so prickly it was unpleasant to be in a room with him I, I i i think you have to assume that that they're not in a normal state of mind and that there are things that can be done to improve how this person sees him or herself and sees him or herself in the world we have to believe that life is preeminent to death to death and and so we have to we have to do everything in our power i think to um keep someone alive and not just alive but to deal with the things the demons that that are causing them to think that they have to take their life i i so but having said that i mean everything he did seemed very conscious you know he cut off his his ponytail and he left a suicide note and and i mean it was all planned and uh, could anybody have interrupted that plan? Very difficult to say, I, but I, we we didn't try. We didn't. None of us tried. Did you think he was cruel to do it that way? Yes, I did. I was so angry at him. I was really, really angry. I was angry at what he did to my mother and my sister. He and my sister had a very tense relationship. Um, my sister was an alcoholic, and she moved back to the reserve to stay with my mother, and. Um, my brother had been an alcoholic, and to his credit, he obviously had a lot of a lot of strength inside of him because he did overcome that, and he hadn't had a drink for many, many years. But um, living with my sister and her drinking was very difficult difficult for him. I, I do I do believe in that self esteem has a lot to do with it, and self esteem is something that begins very early in life and. Um, and I think that there's a lot of research to show that, you know, children with a strong, early, strong sense of achievement and, and reward do develop a self-esteem that hopefully it's a long-term proposition investment, but maybe, you know, that serves one well in moving uh, through life to deal with life's problems. If you're a person who's very low self-esteem, I mean, it, it, can be, it can be very, very difficult to stand up to the pressures of life and and um, find trying to find a way out. So that's one thing that I personally strongly 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 believe in. I've done some work with the Inuit in, in the north and building a, a program through Pingwak. Um, I've been uh, active in an organization called uh, um, Hippie. Um, there's an Aboriginal Hippie program, and it basically goes into the home and works with preschool children at a very young age and their mums. Uh, to get them ready for school, but in a way that contributes to the cultural strengthening language um, and the esteem that you that children get from being recognized and rewarded for achievement. All the research shows that this this matters. That the, the kids who go through that kind of early process do have lower delinquency, suicide, higher school achievement. So there are. There are long-term investments. We can't treat this like today's problem. Uh, we have to we have to start treating tomorrow's problem. And so I, I really strongly believe that. Someone said that a suicide reminds the survivors of the courage that it takes to live every day. And I wonder what your reaction to that might be. I, I think that's I think that's right. Um, uh, and it's not just the courage to live, it's the courage to do something else beyond just living. It's, you know, what what skills, what knowledge, what networks or whatever do I have that I can try to make it a little bit better? Maybe just, you know, a, a, a discussion group in your parish hall, 
It could be noticing a neighbor's child who seems to be very withdrawn. Maybe there, there are small things that I think one one can do um, besides just surviving. Thanks. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for delving into this really important topic. Judith Moses lost her brother Ronald to suicide in 2013. Clearly, it's difficult and sometimes awkward for everyone to know what to say after a suicide. But I think Judith's critical message is that silence isn't the answer. I'm Peter Downey. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Judith and Peter, for your words that we need to hear, even if they may be difficult to hear. As a priest, I have had to officiate at several funerals of young people who died by suicide. When I hear of a suicide in our communities, I hear the wails of the family, friends, and relatives, and the heartbreak echoes through the community just as the word, why, 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 keeps resounding in my mind and the minds of others. Judith offers some good advice on how to understand and grieve and the help that is available. I had a friend who died a tragic death. At a funeral potlatch prior to her death, she made a speech and talked about preventable deaths. Many deaths in our communities are tragic, caused by fire to freeze and putting oneself in other dangerous situations and Many deaths are preventable. All it takes is caring for each other, checking on people who may be having a rough time, making sure someone gets home safely. We are our best resource. We cannot look away. Our lives are too precious. Sometimes we will never know the why. We can only grieve and do those things that help with grieving. We've talked about the importance of our traditional ceremonies. We can have talking circles and we can pray together. I was in a community where we did talking circles each night before the funeral and it was very healing. Lots of tears, but lots of feelings expressed and of course, prayer. In our pandemic time, it is especially important to check on each other as there is a lot of despair and depression, particularly with our young people who are having to experience a life they've never had to experience. All it takes is a phone call or a text. When I lived at the Onondaga Nation, our church would ring the bell when someone passed on. One toll for every year of their life. It was a way of letting people know someone had passed and a way of remembering. In high school, I was introduced to the poetry of John Donne, writer and cleric in England. One of his poems has traveled with me since then. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends are thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Take good care of each other. This season contains themes of suicide, 
that may be harmful or triggering to some audiences. If you or someone you know is struggling mentally or physically, please contact the Canada Suicide Prevention Service at 833-456-4566 or send a text to 45645. Nyawa. Onah.